Welcome to the CDC Podcast, episode 40. I am your host, Eric Swain, and with me this time is Samuel Gronsith, a.k.a. the Game Professor of the Games as Literature 101 YouTube channel. Hi there. In your introductory video named Syllabus, you mentioned that you based the series on a class you teach. Uh, care to explain the story behind that? Yeah, certainly. It's, um... <laughs> That you actually just reminded me I need to redo that syllabus video now that I think about it. It's been a long time. <laughs> Essentially, I majored in English, and my, and, you know, there's not exactly, I've always had an interest in video games as a storytelling medium, but there's not exactly a major for that <laughs> more often than not. So I just got a major in English, specifically in writing, and whenever I could, whenever it made sense to, I would apply what I was learning to video games, or, you know, whenever a professor would be okay with me writing an essay about video games one way or another, I would do it. Um, ended up making an impact on a few of the professors there, actually. It was kind of cool. But my senior project was to design a video games as literature English course, inspired by all the stuff that I'd learned, my love of video games, and a film as lit course that I had taken early on in my college career. And uh, that was a very interesting experience. And after making that, I actually got an opportunity to adapt it for high school to teach it at a few um, charter schools in the area where I lived. Unfortunately, I did not know when I was going through college how much I would love teaching. It ended up being one of the most just fulfilling and enjoyable things that I've ever done, but I didn't know that I would think that when I was going through college, so I didn't, you know, I didn't go for a credential or for a master so I could teach on the college level or anything like that. So unfortunately, after two years of teaching that at two different schools, I, my wife got a good career opportunity that would actually get my student loans paid off quicker, and we ended up needing to move. And, you know, it wasn't worth the commute for, <laughs> for a part-time employment like that. So I ended up being in a position where I wasn't able to teach the class anymore, so I decided to kind of adapt what I had taught into a web series so that I could stay kind of involved with this sort of thing and keep in the education video game scene to one degree or another. How's that worked out in the past few years? Pretty well. I mean, better than I was willing to expect <laughs> early on. Cause I mean, you know, I'd tried, I had a blog a long time ago and stuff like that. It's tough to get this stuff off the ground, but at this point it's been, it's been about, it's more than a year, two years. For some reason, my mind's blanking. It's been a while, and I'm just uh, almost to 10,000 subscribers, which is, as YouTube goes, not huge, but it's far better than I was you know, willing to let myself anticipate when I started. And I've uh, gotten a lot of good feedback, and it's been a very interesting experience. But the class itself, how is, is that tapered? Oh, the class. Yeah. I mean, you know, once I moved away, I wasn't able to actually teach it, and I ended up... Uh, soon after that, getting a full-time job that has absolutely nothing to do with video games or, for that matter, anything else that I care about, unfortunately. But, you know, it's it's the right financial decision and place to be in right now. So that's uh, I'm hoping at some point to get back to that one way or another. But for now, I'm just uh, kind of continuing that work in the form of a web series. And with your web series, like... What was your inspirations for like the format and style that you chose to go with in a sort of lecture style? Well, it's kind of a mix of inspirations, you know, from other web series and the goals for this series itself. Because 
in terms of web series that inspired me, the format in terms of, you know, camera angles and stuff largely comes from the usual suspects for stuff like this, uh, Channel Awesome and the like. But, and Extra Credits was also actually a pretty big influence. But I wanted to present the subject matter in such a way that gamers could learn more about the games they play, but also in such a way that someone who wasn't familiar with video games could watch an episode of this show and kind of gain some level of an understanding as to the value and uh, literary potential of the medium, which meant that I couldn't just go full on. I mean, you know, I couldn't be another angry person trying to make jokes and yell at games on the internet or anything like that. But I also couldn't be, you know, too stuffy and academic about it. That's a balance that I always try to strike because I want to come across as reputable and, you know, to people who aren't as familiar with games culture, but, you know, want to see someone talking about art and storytelling, but also to come across as entertaining so that, you know, there aren't gamers coming in to the web series and just assuming that I'm pretentious and leaving it alone. (laughs) For the record, you started in September of 2014. Okay, for some reason I was forgetting if it was one or two years, though obviously two, so, yeah. (laughs) Just two years yeah, yeah, just over two years ago. Yeah, it's with this uh, interview series, we're coming up on the present really fast. Hmm. How do you feel that the label that you attach to your series as a 101 course like, affects like the, the people who gravitate towards it? Because I when I found your channel, I immediately do what I do with all YouTube channels that I like the content of. I go back to the beginning and start going through all the videos in chronological order and... As someone who's been immersed in this as long as I have and has lived through the arguments repeated over and over, some of those videos just to watch, just because of like what they brought up and someone as versed as me, it, it was infuriating <laughs> to hear everything just laid out as basis. But there was nothing objectionable in it. It's just to hear it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Um, I mean, I, I guess it would depend on what people are going into it for the I did get a few a little bit of feedback early on um, suggesting that the you know the 101 and the general kind of academic field that I was trying to go for might turn some people off from it and I know that there's a lot of stuff especially early on that I covered that was very just informational and you know kind of basically educational and you know I essentially I did that stuff just because I wanted to have a base that I could reference that in the future, when I talked about a certain concept, I wouldn't have to be, I wouldn't have to constantly try and uh, explain myself or anything like that, but I could, you know, do a quick recap and say, I've talked about this in a previous video. If you want to know more. So yeah, I can, I can certainly understand why <laughs> just <laughs> hearing all of that basic stuff might elicit such a reaction. I would like to think that since then I've gotten past all of that basic stuff. At least I know that I've exhausted all of the, you know, simple early class subjects that I had in the original course. So, <laughs> did you have a a list of the overly discussed topics in the greater critical gaming discourse that you just had to <laughs> check off? Uh, kind of. It's more that, like I said, it was I based it largely on the class that I taught. And when you're teaching high schoolers, you can only assume that so much. You know that they know. Mm-hmm. You have to start out with a basic knowledge base. And that even, you know, in this series, I skipped over the classes that I had in that course about basic story, you know, story structure, 
character, you know, very basic writing and literary criticism stuff. So a lot of it just got into the beginning of the show because it was based on a course that had to assume a very, very basic and minimal knowledge of the subject matter. And I figured that it would be an appropriate place to start since I did want this show to be accessible to people who weren't familiar with games already. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of turned out that way. <laughs> In the class you taught, did you ever like turn the uh, discussion on how to critically read video games back into the idea of how to critically think in general? To an extent, it was mostly focused on literary reading in general, and I think that when it comes down to it, that reflects onto critical thinking in general, whether or not you try and explicitly tie it to that. But I did generally stick to literary concepts and literary thought one way or another, but it did extend from video games into other stuff as well. I actually had a lot of teachers who had some of my students in, you know, more traditional literature classes, reading short stories and novels and the like, say that the students that were in my class were getting a lot more out of it and understanding, you know, these concepts a lot better than when they were trying to teach it using American short stories or something. So that was kind of cool. Can you describe your process in making the videos? Yeah, it's a, it's fairly simple. I, I wanted to have something of kind of an interview look to it since I wanted to have a level of academic to it all. Um, so I essentially write out a script that's kind of just like an essay, but in a but it's split into shots. So I have normal shots, which are the ones that are you know a little further away, and you can see the stuff on the shelf and all that. And then close-up shots, you know, the ones that are closer up, obviously. So I just kind of alternate between those two. Also, of course, have shots where I'm just going to play the game footage over it or something. So. I end up writing the script and separating it into those shots, and then once I'm ready to actually film it and produce it, then I, uh, my wife, thankfully, is around to make sure I don't look stupid because I have no, I'm not very good at not looking stupid. <laughs> and, um, you know, we head into the studio, and she mans the camera just because it's easier for me to, you know, be sitting and practicing than making sure. Unfortunately, we've or, well, fortunately, we have a good camera. Unfortunately, it's a, uh, you know, since it's not a little handheld or something, I can't see the screen from where I'm sitting. So she's usually there just to make sure it actually goes. Because I've made that mistake before where, like, I pressed it at the wrong time or something and I ended up recording an entire analysis of just the in-between parts instead of the actual shots <laughs> I was doing. Uh, that was uh, that, that was frustrating. So, yeah, um, she'll do that and I'll practice i mean you know i don't memorize the entire thing necessarily but i will talk through each shot a few times and then when i feel like i've got it enough that i can record it well then you know we'll hit record i'll do it and then uh once we've got all the shots i'll dump them into adobe premiere and uh order them all toss them into a timeline and uh do all the video editing and such from there when you're talking well, not for the base essays, but for, like, gameplay footage when you're talking about specific games. Mm -hmm. You capture that yourself, or do you find a, a well to take it from? I capture it when I have to, but I was actually... Look, I found a website and YouTube channel, uh, longplays.org, and uh, the YouTube channel's World of Long Plays, and they just post a whole bunch of long plays and have a uh, a system where you can, uh, you know, as to how you're supposed to credit them and such. So mostly I just use that. It has led to a few, you know, interesting... Oh, and in many cases, too, I can use... Um, like, if I'm just talking generally about a game, then I can use trailer footage or 
official gameplay preview footage or something, and that's easy enough. I really only need the long plays when I'm talking about a specific moment that isn't going to be in that kind of stuff. And yeah, that generally works fine. There have been a few times where I, you know, there's some really popular game that I, it doesn't even cross my mind that no one might have done a long play of it on that site, and then they haven't. And I need to scramble and either try and get the footage myself or ask permission from other Let's Players or something. But generally, it works real well. And that covers, like, the, you have the basic 101 essays that are short, uh, under 10-minute little things covering the basics. And then you have the long-form video analysis going in-depth on a single game. Mm-hmm. In fact, your your second video was one such thing on The Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Yeah, back, man, that, that was a fun one, because I hadn't realized that the mic that came on the camera that we got was terrible. But I was not willing to re-record the entire thing. I had better equipment by the time I was like editing it and stuff, so I knew it was going to get better from there. But I've, I've thought about redoing that one, too, just because it sounds so bad. But, yeah, those longer episodes are also, to an extent, based on the class. Um, at the beginning, I actually started off using games that I had used in the course, because I had to be very careful when choosing, because it's... The interesting thing about doing a class like that is since it's in high school, you can't do M-rated games. There was some hesitancy to even allow T-rated games, but that thankfully worked. And it's weird how much you find out that in terms of, you know, big AAA games that have really good stories, a lot of the best ones are rated M. (laughs) But aside from that, it was difficult because I couldn't count on each of the students having any particular console or anything. And I had to keep them relatively short. I couldn't be all like, oh, hey, guys, you have a week. Here's Final Fantasy VII. Go ahead. (laughs) And so, you know, there were all of these interesting different challenges to it simply because there's no precedent for this. You know, there's not a compilation like you would find one of those big, thick books of American short stories from, you know, 1800 to 1900 or something. That doesn't exist for games. So the choices that I ended up making were games that I could easily get on a variety of systems that the students would probably have access to and on steam oftentimes, and that weren't, you know, all that long to play T rated, all this stuff. So yeah. Um, for a while I was using some of the games that I used in that class. Uh, Prince of Persia, the sands of time was an interesting introductory one. Cause it was, you know, traditional enough that the students generally enjoyed playing it, but had enough of a story that I could at least try and get them thinking in that mode. Bastion, Beyond Good and Evil, you know, and then later on is when I kind of branched out into other games that I hadn't covered. And this kind of dancing around like the big question is that what do you feel video adds to the essay format? Well, in the case of video games, at least, and really any visual media, it helps to, uh, this sounds obvious when I start to say it aloud, but it helps to see it. (laughs) Heck, I once saw video... Uh, it was an introduction to film course that was specifically, I was actually going to be teaching it before I ended up moving, and they handed me a textbook and was like, this is this is what it is. And I was like, How's, I mean, you know, it would have like screen caps of the scenes and stuff, and I'm like, you can't talk about film without actually watching movies. How do, you know, when you're talking about something visual, it's obviously, you know, there's plenty of great written stuff out there on video games, but I think that it can be helpful in many cases to actually see what is happening and how it's happening. And I think that the video format does add something to that. Mostly in my case, I did it because in a lot of ways it's more accessible to, you know, our generation and our (laughs) culture in the video game community. There's just a lot of video stuff out there because it's often easier for someone to 
watch something and keep paying attention to it or, you know, maybe listen to it as they're doing housework or something than to read something. And on your end, to explain it? Yes. It's very helpful to me, I think, since I'm talking about a lot of times fairly abstract concepts, I guess, like ideas about how storytelling works and stuff. It can be helpful to be able to show an example, you know, just using gameplay footage. And it's obviously not complete because video games also have interactivity and you don't get that by watching footage of something. But I do think that it helps oftentimes to show examples as opposed to just talking about it and hoping that the reader knows what I'm talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. If I could, given the uh, interesting position that you came into this from, how do you feel that, or what do you think the video games offer to the format of teach in educational circumstances, like how you were using them? See, that's an interesting one that is admittedly a little out of my area, if only because I, the specific context in which I was using them, my use of video games in the class worked basically the same as one's use of books or short stories in a normal literature class. You know, I, I made the games available to the students and then would say that they have X amount of time to complete them. And then we're going to have a quick test and I'm going to give them essay prompts and stuff like that. So it was fairly, it was fairly, it, it wasn't a matter of using games to try and heighten education so much as actually playing games in order to teach the students about the games So that question gets a little more complicated when we're talking about the use of games in the classroom to facilitate teaching other subjects, but... With your subject, then? With my subject specifically? Yeah, like, how did the class work out? (laughs) It worked out generally quite well. Thankfully, the students, you know, would generally play the games. There were a few. Seriously, there were a couple students I would give them... Heck, I remember there was one point where they were supposed to play Bastion, and, uh... I asked one of the students if he had played the game uh, by the dead, you know, on the deadline when everyone was supposed to have played it, and he just said no. And I'm like, okay, why not? He said, well, it looked boring. And I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to figure out how. It, if someone gave me like the worst game ever as homework, I'd play it. And I mean, video games as homework. Come on. Well, but, there's um, <laughs> always one student who doesn't read the book, doesn't watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, thankfully these. These kids did generally join the class because they were interested in video games, which is kind of an advantage over, you know, like traditional literature classes. A lot of the kids hate reading and they're going to go into it begrudgingly. They're not going to do the work. But more often than not, I had kids who might have had some trouble getting into this mode of thinking for video games. And there were a lot of interesting challenges there. But, you know, generally liked video games and cared about them. So it, uh, I mean, it generally worked fairly well. Most of the difficulty was just on my end on a logistical level because of what I was talking about before, how difficult it is to make games accessible to the students and stuff like that. But, you know, it essentially worked the same as any literature class or something. They'd play a game, we'd talk about it, I'd give them a quick test just to make sure that they, you know, actually played it, (laughs) and then uh, give them a few prompts to choose from for essays and see what they had to say. Was there problems with just like the physical being able to play the game and ham-handedness and the such? Oh, like students not being good enough to get through them or something? Yes. Occasionally, but generally, it thankfully was not a big deal. And I did specify to them as well that I wanted them to actually play the game, not just watch a Let's Play or anything, but that if they got stuck or, you know, for one reason or another just couldn't, then it was more important that they knew what was in the game. You know, just because when it comes down to it, if you can't finish the game in time then you can't finish the game in time. But if you can at least know what happened in the game, then that is better than not knowing anything. 
So I, I generally allowed that as a kind of a way around it, but I also encourage them to actually play it because, you know, interactivity was a major point of discussion. <laughs> Anything other worth mentioning about the class? Um, uh, not, not, I mean, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but I'm always terrible with that. Uh, I mean, it, it was just a really interesting and unique experience. It was really, really rewarding to see because the kids, a lot of them had not thought of video games in this way before. You know, a lot of people generally just don't, and that's a lot of why I, you know, like teaching about this sort of thing, because I think it's valuable, and I think that we as a culture have kind of trained ourselves to think of video games as entertainment and nothing more, and I think that's a real shame. So a lot of the kids would, I mean, you know, the the first time we talked about, you know, they started playing Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. First time we talked about it, it basically just took the entire class session of discussion for me to get them talking about the story instead of the gameplay. It would always be about, you know, like how smooth the platforming was or how annoying it was that Farah shot them at one point or something, you know. They'd always be talking about the gameplay, and it was this big mode switch. And most of them made it fine. You know, the first essays were all reviews, basically. I would give literally give them prompts, say like, hey, what do you think of this element of the story? Write about this. And they would end up talking about the gameplay and ending it with a number score or something, <laughs> just because that's what they knew, you know? And it would, eventually over time, most of them adjusted very well. I actually had one student who dropped out halfway through the first school year that I taught it just because he was not making that adjustment. But more often than not, you know, it was really cool to see them start looking at games more critically and being able to understand them in this way when at first they had so much trouble with it. And as I understood, this was a sort of pilot program for the idea at charter schools? Uh, some, something like that. It was really just a, I got up the guts to go ask about it, basically. <laughs> and, you know, I knew some people who worked with some of the charter schools in the area, and so I went in and said, hey, you know, here, here's an idea. I, you know, I, I had this class all designed. I could adapt it easily. And uh, one of the schools was actually looking for a game design teacher, too, which I don't have as much experience in, but, you know, certainly enough to, with a curriculum, teach a high school class. You know, so it just kind of ended up being the right situation at the right time to make something like that work. And uh, it did end up working out very well for everyone involved, I think. But they didn't continue it? They did, actually. I taught it the next year as well, and like I said, there were two schools I was teaching it at. It was only because, the, the only reason I stopped is just because my wife and I had to move, so I couldn't continue it there. And uh, I spent a little bit of time trying to see if any other schools in the area where we moved would, you know, take that up. But charter schools have varying levels of, you know, some of them are willing to try and do interesting things like that. Some of them are very much more <laughs> by the book. It all just kind of depends. And so uh, I wasn't able to find something by the time I had, like I said, the much, much better offer in terms of uh, finances. So I had too many student loans to turn that down. <laughs> oh, I completely understand. It's yeah. Just, it's just, we don't get a, I think you'd be like the third interviewee that I can connect education with video games in some manner. Oh. Yeah, the previous ones were from way back in the day was when I interviewed Michael Abbott and his university, I think. Well, they were advertising that they were the first to include video game as part of a syllabus curriculum. That's cool. Among other things, along a theme. And then, of course, there was a James Portnow of Extra Credits and the work he was doing trying to integrate like video game design into educational design and classroom yeah. design. Wonderful to actually like talk to someone who taught something like that. 
try and get something out of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a real interesting thing to just kind of see how video games and education are colliding. The world of education is very slow to pick up on new things, so it's it's interesting. Well, we're still on the agrarian system after all. <laughs> Back to your videos. Early on you you had a really rigorous scheduling. Yeah. It's like they didn't all say one year ago and two years ago when I started watching all your videos and I was like, Oh my God, these are like, these are days apart. What was it? Like <laughs> three a week? You were trying um, to it, it was actually just week, weekly. There were, uh, there would be occasional times when I would do a, you know, simpler video. Like I, I have my little musings sub series where I occasionally just talk casually about something or, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So some other stuff would happen sometimes. And then there were, there was a little while where I was streaming before I moved up into the mountains with terrible internet. And so some of those are on there, but I actually, I knew that because I know I know myself, if I don't have a regular schedule to keep up, I will get lazy and fall behind. <laughs> so for the first while I had a weekly schedule, it was a uh, one analysis a month. So it would be a big literary analysis video and then three weeks of shorter videos on, you know, smaller topics before the next one. And that's been unfortunately falling apart recently because the full time job takes up a lot more time. And then unfortunately, there's also just something of a. Anyone who's had a soul-killing full-time job that has nothing to do with anything they care about knows, like, the kind of psychological and emotional toll that can take. It makes it very difficult to actually... Like, it used to be that I could just basically have an idea, sit down, and turn it into an episode in, like, an hour, you know, <laughs> writing it out, at least. And uh, that doesn't really happen anymore. It gets more difficult to actually do this sort of thing. So I've been falling behind, but I've been making sure to keep it going because, you know, I, I like doing this series, and... You know, I'm, I'm not going to let some job that I don't like take over my life and make me stop doing things that I actually care about. Yeah, I know how it's like. You, you finish off a day, and then you just you just want to go to sleep when you get in, even though yeah, basically. it hasn't been your entire day. Yeah, it, it even turns into weird things. Like, there was a long time where I would be playing a lot of games, but it was mostly, you know, easy stuff. I would play destiny with my wife or something and that that was just kind of that and i still of course do you know she and i play overwatch a lot recently but for one reason or another i would come home and look at my huge steam library of unplayed games with you know interesting stories and interesting little indie titles and stuff and think man i don't i love i love this stuff but i don't feel like doing it you know i, I want to do something easier and that that kind of sucked. That that still happens sometimes, but it kind of turned around when one day I was just like, you know what, this interesting Firewatch game just came out, and I'm just going to sit down and play it. And it, I mean, you know, I kind of realized again how much I need interesting <laughs> video games <laughs> to just keep that. You know, it kind of reinvigorated me. That was that was cool. I was actually about to ask whether were you running out of 101 subjects. When, uh, when your schedule got further and when the videos started to get further and further apart, I thought you'd just run out. It is certainly a little more. I mean, like I said, I had this whole, you know, year long class that I was drawing from early on. So as as the show's gone on, I've run out of the obvious things to talk about. And for that matter, I've run out of games that I know backward and forward. You know, like when, when I was doing some like Bastion or Prince of Persia, or the first Halo, I played those games a lot. I barely even had to replay them to, you know, write the analysis and stuff. It was very easy. And now I'm out of those. <laughs> so it's definitely a little more difficult to actually come up with enough stuff to have weekly content in the first place. But 
you know, there is a lot of interesting... I, I don't expect video games to actually run out of interesting topics to talk about anytime soon, so it's just a matter of finding inspiration, which, unfortunately, is more the thing that's been falling short recently, just because without as much time to think about this or play video games, for that matter, you know, it's not, not as many ideas just flowing around in my head about it anymore. I also noticed that in some of the literary analysis, there's, like, a huge jump in how much time there is spent on it. Like, most of them <laughs> are just half, a little under half an hour, a little over half an hour. And then you get Bioshock, it's a full hour. Gears of War got an hour and a half. Last of Us got over an hour. Yeah, that, um... I mean, at first the idea was actually that all the episodes would be much shorter. I was thinking, like, five to six minutes for the short ones, and you know, 15 to 20 for the analysis episodes, but I should have known myself better than that. I was always that no person who would complain fast. to the profit. Well, yeah, and I I always, I was always the person who would complain to my professors that the word limits they gave us on essays were too short. <laughs> like, I, I just, I, when I write, I just go and go and go. Concision has never been my strong point. So... Like, at, at first, you know, the, the Prince of Persia analysis was, like, 20 minutes or something. And then they kind of stayed within 20, 30 minutes-ish. And then Bioshock happened, and I I was trying to figure out how to keep it to that. And then I was just like, you know what? No, I love this game. I'm not going to half-ass this. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm i just going to talk about everything that interests me that I can think of about it that I think fits into what I'm doing here. So I did, and it turned out to be an hour long. Gears of War was accidental, though. I just looked at that trilogy and was like, eh, there's nothing to talk about in the first game. I'll just take the whole trilogy on at once. It's kind of, like, it tries interesting things, but it's simple and stupid. That should be easy. It it wasn't. It turned into four videos. <laughs> so that, uh, I, I'm never doing a whole trilogy at once again. Lesson learned there. Or the fact that you got Hatoful Boyfriend with, <laughs> an, like, an hour and 20 minutes over two videos. Yeah, that one also, I, I accept, that was a Patreon request from a friend of mine, actually, and I was like, yeah, I've been meaning to play that anyway, that works fine, but then I forgot that visual novels have different routes, and like, if I'm going to talk about it, I can't just play it through once, I need to play it through with all the characters. <laughs> it had more content than, I, I don't know, that was stupid on my part, I've played enough, I should know, but yeah, it happens. Yeah, so the pigeon dating simulator got more attention than Prince of Persia. Yeah... Yeah, in all fairness, I'm pretty sure that if I did Sands of Time right now, I would probably talk about it a bit longer, too. <laughs> Just, you know, having had more experience doing this show and having fallen, you know, more, kind of found my style more. But there are definitely a couple things about it that I, like I said, I've thought of redoing it, and I, I know a few things that I would add to it if I did, but we'll see. One of your videos that I wanted to ask you about was your literary analysis on the Stanley Parable. <laughs> just because of how much formal ex experiment you did there. Yeah, that was fun for those listening who haven't been familiar with this. Basically, the Stanley Parable, the the video that you'll find on my channel is like four minutes long. And then a narrator cuts in and makes me walk through doors and stuff. And each door, like at the end of the video, there are annotations and links in the description. And you choose which angle I'm going to try and look at the game from. And there are a few different videos that branches out a few ways there before coming together for a final idea of what the game's about. And the decision to do that was actually because of a couple different things. That was actually when I took that, you know, this full-time job, and we ended up needing to move because it provides housing. So 
I was thinking of possibly doing something like this just for fun. And then I realized that I was going to need to have a new studio, a new set, and figured, oh, well, this will be a good way to put me into that. The last video will just have me arriving in a new set, so that works. So I went ahead and went for it, and uh, <laughs> it, it turned out to be very interesting. I, I think that the idea for it was, uh, like, I, I do like how it turned out in the end, because I essentially came to the conclusion, ultimately, that the Stanley Parable is just kind of about the different pros and cons of different approaches to interactive storytelling and how much control the storyteller has versus the player. And so I basically just wanted to do this thing where the person watching the video could choose whether I was going to tackle it from the idea that the player having control is better or the storyteller having control is better and have different videos of me doing that before eventually all of it coming into this one where, you know, I realized what you know, that it wasn't so simple as to say that one was better than the other or anything like that. So, yeah, it uh, it was fun to do. Most of those shots were just, you know, different locations in the house we were moving from and a few locations in the house we're moving into. And then there was that one day that it was snowing outside, and I was like, wouldn't it be fun to do one of these shots in the snow? And in all fairness, the acoustics out there were just divine, but that that was a cold day. Of filming, <laughs> but yeah, no, that that was it was very experimental. But I, I don't know. I've always kind of liked the idea of kind of like a choose your own adventure YouTube series or something, and so that just kind of channeled into that, and it was an interesting opportunity to try something like that. So I did. Also wanted to ask you about your thumbnail icons. Mm-hmm. The you sitting in the big wingback chair with what looks like a book, except the cover of the video games. Yeah. Did you make that, or did you find someone to make that for you? How'd that come about? If I made that, it would have looked like a stick person holding a rock. Thankfully, I married a wonderful illustrator and designer, and uh, my wife has helped out with this series a whole lot, not the least of which is doing, you know, the illustrations and such for the show. So I I had that idea of me, you know, reading a book, except it's a video game, and, uh, she drew it up, and I have been using it. I have, you know, like, ultimately when it comes down to it, the thumbnails end up kind of blending together when you're looking at a list of videos on my channel. So yeah. I'm starting to, I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, she's still basically doing work for free for me. So, I don't, you know, I can't have her, I can't be overworking her with this or anything. But I have started uh, with the Hotful Boyfriend analysis, and it will continue with the Walking Dead analysis coming up soon. Having, uh, she's been doing unique title cards for the analysis episodes. And uh, I'm hoping to also, as I kind of branch out into a couple more different types of videos on the channel, to have different title cards for different types, you know, like musings and stuff like that. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about your work on YouTube or your video series in general that you think we should know? I mean, not... I mean, I've got just a whole bunch of random little thoughts flying through my head, but, you know, nothing That's fine. super important to latch on to. I think, I think if anything, I guess just kind of why I'm doing all this and why I find it so interesting and fulfilling and stuff, it's been... Sorry, my brain's kind of scattered at the moment. <laughs> it's... I think that video games have a lot to offer that, and I mentioned this earlier, that we as a culture aren't taking advantage of, you know? And that that is not limited to storytelling, obviously. You know, a lot, a lot of people seem to think that when I talk about storytelling in video games, I'm saying, like, this is how games can mean something, and it's the only way games can mean something, but it's not. There are a lot of different ways that they can, but I think that this is one of the more accessible 
and meaningful ways that we can look at them, at least in how we currently tend to understand video games. And I think that if we just kind of as a culture treated video games in more the way that we treat a lot of other media, like when it comes down to it, a lot of people read just for fun and they're not trying to get anything major out of it. But even then we still recognize that that's a valuable pursuit, right? So someone could be, you know, reading whatever random book they want and that's still considered a positive thing because books are, you know, good and helpful and video games, I believe can do the same thing and be helpful in the same ways, but we don't, we don't treat them that way as a culture at large. And I think it's important that we do. For that matter, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the game, in the world of video games lately that I think have displayed how <laughs> how bad things can get when people are determined to keep video games meaningless. But um, I just I guess that's a lot of what I'm wanting to do with with this. I mean, you know, I I'm not having a huge impact on the way that our entire culture looks at it. Obviously, with the web series with under 10,000 subscribers, but I think that you know anything that i can do that can help contribute to our culture viewing video games as something that are to be valued and understood instead of something that is just kind of silly and done to waste time in between important things you know anything i can do to get us towards that i think is good and so i you know that's kind of just why i'm doing it and why i care about the show so much even when <laughs> so sometimes in my life i would rather just be lazy and play video games instead. Oh, right. There is one thing, and this got announced after I interviewed some of the other participants. You are part oh. of a collective of YouTube critics doing oh. a project. Something like that, yeah. Not not as much a collective as something like, you know, the aforementioned Channel Awesome or Normal Boots or anything like that. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I have partnered with a few other YouTubers, um... Chris Franklin, who does Aaron Signal, and who you've had on the show before, mm-hmm. and then MC Prophet, who's done a, you know, just a whole bunch of interesting stuff and a wonderful analysis of a Twilight Princess and uh, symbolism in that game is just great. And then a uh, Red Angel, who's done some great videos on Life is Strange, just got started recently. We, yeah, we started a podcast called the Gaming Symposium that works kind of like a book club where we, the four of us, take turns picking a game that the rest of us are all going to play over the course of the next month, and then we get together and discuss it. That was actually supposed to be coming out this last Friday, but unfortunately, Red Angel is in the path of a hurricane at the moment, so that got postponed a little bit. But yeah, that's that's been an interesting venture, and hopefully will continue to be. The link will be down in the show notes. Cool. You did do some, some episodes. How'd that, how'd that come out? Yeah, we did the first episode, which was just kind of talking about us and how we approach games and stuff which was interesting and then the first game that we did was chosen by mc profit and it was off a uh (laughs) well a bunch of us who look at video games for their stories started a podcast called the gaming symposium and then immediately took a look at a surrealist french rpg so you know it's just pretentiousness dripping (laughs) from the whole setup get what you pay Um, for yep yep but yeah no it was that was certainly interesting. The, the game is a very uh, complex one with a lot of different interpretations and stuff, so we had a lot of fun trying to parse all that out. So yeah, we, we just had those two, and then uh, coming up soon we'll be tackling the next game. More will be coming down the line, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm out of questions, and I can't think of anything else, so the last one. Oh. What is your favorite video game of all time? Okay. This is a horrible question, and you should feel bad, <laughs> but thankfully... I knew it was coming, so... (laughs) 
You're uh, the first person who prepared for this question. Yeah, no, I did. I've, I've listened to the podcast before. You're the first person I, who's done that, too. Oh, really? <laughs> Apparently. Wow, yeah. No, and I, uh, I I also made sure to, you know, listen to a couple episodes before this to, just to make sure I knew what was going to be happening. And this, this question is the worst. And yet I'm always entertained by it. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sure you are. You're evil. <sighs> I usually give, like, a cop-out answer by noting, like, a bunch of games that I love, but I'm going to try and avoid doing that right now. Except that the answer is going to be pretty boring and typical. I always struggle with this, but in the end, I have to end up going with Final Fantasy VII. It's arguably, in my mind, not even necessarily the best Final Fantasy game. Six is just a, a wonderful masterpiece, and I love it. But Final Fantasy VII was... It wasn't the first game I played that had a story or anything, but it was the first game I played that really paid as much attention to its story and its characters as it did. You know, I, I was coming off of that from games like Halo and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, where I'm, I do genuinely like the stories of those games and like what they have to offer, but I just remember playing Final Fantasy VII and, you know, getting past that whole introductory segment and realizing how long I have been sitting here reading dialogue from these characters and getting to know them, and that just kind of blew me away and cemented my love for video games as a storytelling medium. It's not necessarily... I mean, you know, it, it has problems. It's arguably not the best Final Fantasy game. It's certainly not the... You know, it has flaws. I can think of a couple games that I wouldn't change anything about. Final Fantasy VII isn't one of them. But I just... It had a really big impact on me, and I have played it since then, and I do believe that it holds up. I really have... Just, yeah, I, I really like that game. <laughs> out of curiosity, did you think you got away when I said I was out of questions... I wasn't sure. You know, I, I was wondering, like, is he not going to... And part of me was hoping that you'd forget. And part of me was also like, man, but I thought so hard about it to make sure I could give an answer. <laughs> but, you know, I, sh I should have known better than to consider the possibility that such evil would pass me by. <laughs> the thing is, I love the answers of the games people choose, but I also love the responses people get to the question oh, as yeah. well. That's when you're involved in video games like a lot of us are, and for that matter, it gets weird for you know people like me who play them for the story because you end up with so many different types of games that it's hard to compare some of them. And oh yeah, I, I also just remembered that I recently played Persona Four, and it's seriously kind of taking shots at Final Fantasy VII and trying to take its place as my favorite. But any, anyway, yeah. it, it's a hard question to answer is the point. <laughs> so it's, I can see why you would enjoy that, but you're, I'm still judging you. You're still <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell the lovely listeners where they can find you? All right. Well, um, as was previously mentioned, my name is Sam Gronseth. I go in my web series by the Game Professor, and the web series itself is called Games is Lit 101. It is on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash games as literature. I also, of course, am on Facebook and Twitter with, let's see, I think Facebook is also Games as Literature, and Twitter is just Games as Lit, I believe. But, uh, I mean, you know, if you search me in either of them, you'll find it. Save those characters. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, all of that stuff. And then there's also, uh, we mentioned the Gaming Symposium, and that also has its own YouTube channel, and I am trying desperately to figure out how to make RSS feeds so that that can be on iTunes and such. <laughs> Someday, it will be. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash gamesislit101, and of course, any and all support is appreciated. Okay, and 
for us at Critical Distance, you can find all our projects at critical-distance.com. That includes this podcast, which if you enjoyed, please consider rating on us iTunes. We don't have a lot of reviews, and I don't get a lot of feedback. I really, really love any that you could possibly give as well. And for all our other features, our weekly roundups, our monthly blogs of the roundtable, as well as many other features you can find at the newly spruced up Critical Distance, including a random search bar every time you join for a random topic or game. Thank you, Zoya, for including that little feature. It's beautifully designed, new website. We have images now. We have color now. And... If you like all that, and if you like the work that we're doing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash crit distance. And if you can't support it, spread the link around and hope someone who can will. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Sam, for coming on. Yep, happy to be here. Yep, it's been a blast. 